Doing the impossible is not something you make happen. It's something that you allow to happen. After conducting over 10,000 personal and group coaching sessions over the last decade, author and personal coach Jason Dries has unlocked the simple yet effective formula to accept and create success in your life on the most basic, instinctive level. In his latest book, Do the Impossible, Jason gives readers access to the same life-changing principles he provides in his personal coaching sessions. Ready to embrace success as a state of being? In this exclusive listener offer, get your copy of Do the Impossible for 50% off from the publishers at Bigger Pockets. To get your copy of Do the Impossible for 50% off any format, go to www.biggerpockets.com impossible50. That's 50% off any format, www.biggerpockets.com impossible50. I think it's a, the sign of a good journalist who says, you know, maybe that wasn't the right decision. I haven't made many of those, but this was a case where I did. And I think transparency and honesty is, um, you know, is a, is a really great exercise for all journalists because let's face it, we're not perfect and we don't get it right 100% of the time. Welcome to Brand with Donnie Deutsch. I am Donnie Deutsch, and this is a podcast dedicated to a simple premise that everybody and everything today is a brand. Every religion, every athlete, every celebrity, every corporation, every person, everything today, as we say, is a brand. And we do a couple of things on this show. What we do is we go through a big interview with a big personality about their own personal brand. And this week, we've got Katie Couric uh, talking about her book and a lot of other stuff. You know, everybody knows Katie, household word. Uh, she's an old friend of mine. We're going to chat and have a lot of fun. And we also do what we call our Brands of the Week here, which is basically uh, the brands that are setting the zeitgeist, who's up, who's down, who's kind of setting the table about where we're going as a country. And in order to do that, as most weeks, we have one of my partners, not, not my partner in crime, the great the great Emily Jane Fox, senior correspondent for Vanity Fair magazine, or best, New York Times bestselling author, Born Rich, the story of the Trump family. Uh, you can catch her all over Vanity Fair. She's a happy mother. And she's one of the smartest folks around. Welcome, Emily Jane. Ugh, I love this. And I love being your singular partner in crime. Yes, 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 yes. Let's get right to it. First up, brand down for Biden versus Trump in 2024. Nobody wants to see that show. 70% of Democrats do not want to see Biden run. And 60% of Republicans do not want to see Trump run. And the reason for, a big part of the reason on both is their age. I mean, if you really think about it, Biden would be 82 if he ran again, which means he'd be serving till 86. And um, Trump would be, I think, 79 or 80, serving till 84. Uh, either way, I, I agree. Both too old to run the country. I don't mean to be ageist. Forget their politics and forget Trump for the obvious reasons. Uh, I don't disagree with the, with the poll out there. That's from a Harvard-Harris poll. Yeah, I think that they're both too old in age. And also, it just reminds me of an era that I want to get out of. Yeah. I don't want to relive the last six years. They were they were not a pleasant six years to, to live through. And I think they represent a moment in time that um, was unpleasant. And I think that there's a little bit of a new way forward. Uh I don't know how we get there because I think we are stuck in this uh, minority ruling the majority. Yeah. Uh, but I think that both of them do not represent an America that we want to exist in tomorrow. I hear you. I hear you. What you got? Okay. In that same vein, I have a brand down 
for America. And I know that that okay. sounds like a 30,000 foot view. Coming from a uh, millennial woman, I'm not surprised to hear that. Okay. Has, I don't and know I don't mean that in a, in, a, in a patronizing way. I mean, I, I, I hear you, but I'm particularly not surprised to hear about it from somebody from your demographic. I honestly, I've been talking about this uh, for the last few weeks in my house a lot, and I just feel like America's over. I feel like the experiment of America was fantastic for a, uh, a certain group of people for 200 and something years, and now it is terrible for just about everybody. And... It used to be the land of opportunity. It used to be the land of economic promise. It used to be the land of freedom. freedom uh, the, the place where anyone who was seeking the, the freedom to be who they were and the chance to come here and make it because of how hard they work and, and of, of what they have inside of them uh, for everybody around the world. And now I don't feel like that's true. I don't think that you could make a living wage in this country. I don't think that we have the kind of economic social freedom that this is promised to us. And... I don't see a way of getting back there. I think that we are too far gone and it is depressing to say, but I don't feel like we are going to get back to the America that was once promised to us ever well, again. Well, as Winston Churchill said, it's it's the, the worst, uh, I, I'm going to misquote him, but the worst form of, the best form of the worst of, of governments. And this is still democracy. And look, we're the longest running experiment and nobody, as we all know, and we've talked a lot about in this program, that there's no guarantee that our democracy as we know it are going to continue. So if you start right there and you start what's going on, what Trump tried to do, you start with the state legislatures, what's being set up for 2024, um, that alone, and obviously we saw Roe v. Wade, uh, guns, uh, you know, January 6th, and you go, and the polarization and the the... the we are divided and I, so in so many ways we are going backwards, we are not what we were. Having said that, and I don't know if this is just who I am, I'm still a believer. I still believe that we're in a moment in time, we're in a really, really bad moment in time. I do believe that leaders emerge. Uh, I don't think it's any of the ones that we see right now. Um, and I am i don't wanna say I'm hopeful, but I'm not ready to throw in the towel. Well, here's here's why I think you feel that way because America works for you right now, yeah. right? None of your rights have been taken away. You're right. Uh, you are very privileged in a million different ways. And you're so I feel right. like you have the ability to have hope because your world has been untouched as of yet. And I have had that privilege for 30-something years of my life. And now I feel like in the last uh, year since I became a mother and have been touring score schools for my child. And I think about, do they have an armed guard out front? What is the security protocol for my daughter who just turned one year old when she goes to school next year as a two-year-old that I have to think about this? It's yeah. sickening. Yeah. And the fact that my rights as a woman and as a mother and my daughter's rights when when she is old enough are hanging in the balance. I, I, I don't feel that way anymore. I don't have hope anymore. And I'm, yeah. I have asked the question more times than not over the last few weeks, where where else could we live? And yeah. that's a scary thing. And I understand there's privilege in me being able to ask that, right? Yeah. But, but it's no, a crazy is, thing. you're not alone. And they have these these I forgot what it's called these no gold visas where you can basically pay yeah. for once again the privilege win. You can pay yeah. ten grand and get a citizenships in Portugal yeah. or some which seems to be one yeah. of the hot places. Well, to be crazy. continued, obviously, big discussion. Can but, you can you give me some uplifting? Yeah, brands he, here. I'll give you. I'll give you. I don't know if uplifting, but brand up really smart for Gavin Newsom. Uh, mm. He took out an ad recently, last few days ago, 
kind of an anti-DeSantis ad. And it was kind of California versus uh, Florida. And it was all what we were just talking about, that we're losing our freedoms, that in, in, in Florida, people are losing the right to certain books in school, obviously women's reproductive rights, uh, all the stuff, all the bad stuff, the guns. And what's so brilliant about it is he's setting him up as kind of, he's really like, okay, if DeSantis is the future, I'm going to go against the Republican future and be the Democratic future. It's, it's just branding 101, really, really, really smart. Just skipping over Trump and going, this is the next guy in line, whether it's this year or four years from now. And I'm going to set myself, you know, vis-a-vis, uh, -vis, um, me versus him. Well, that puts me as the next guy in line. It's fascinating because, you know, not that long ago, he was recalled yeah. in California. <laughs> and so he's sort of, not only is he skipping over Trump, he's skipping over his state where he's How is he doing? People what, is really people, don't like him. what are people feeling about it in California? I think people loathe him in what, California. Why do they loathe and I, him? And, uh, I think he was in the pandemic, had all these crazy rules and then was out, out at, in San Francisco. Yeah, uh, you know, right, right. Yeah. So I think I think that there are a number of reasons. I also think the state of the state is not great. Yeah. Um, and and so I think that there are a number of reasons why people don't like him, but they really don't like him. And so there's a real chutzpah to him going and being a national politician. But um, smart I appreciate move. the but chutzpah. Smart move. Yes. Yeah. I mean, whether yeah. he's he's the guy, whether he's got the chops, whether it's legitimate. It's a smart strategic marketing move. Yes. We, I have a brand down that's a total left turn. Shoot. But I feel like you and I have to talk about this. Um, traveling in this country, in this world, is wild right now. Have you, have you seen what's happening in airports around, I, around the world? I've heard honestly? about it. You just came back from Italy. What's okay, going on? I just came back from Italy, uh, and we were mostly spared, except for on our way out. Um, there was a strike at the Paris airport and we were connecting through the Paris airport. There was a strike at the and, Paris airport, right? Yeah, and I think there have been, over the last couple of weeks, there have been a number of strikes at the Paris airport and, and airports around the world. Um, and it sent us into a scramble for a couple of days and it ended up being fine. Uh, but I think I've seen many people, their bags and bags and bags, hundreds of bags in the airport. Every bags. flight is delayed. My parents Every flight is delayed, coming. bags are lost. <sighs> My parents were coming to visit our daughter. Their flight just got canceled that morning. There were no other flights. It's Canceled crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It really is. So uh, uh, the airlines, there are not enough pilots. It's going to take a very long time to train them. It seems like a crazy yeah, time. Yeah, it is. No, I'm hearing that from everybody. I'm going to give you an equally kind of, well, not equally, but just a just what we were talking about before, a brand down for reality. Here's a, mm. here's a, here's a great one. 68% of Fox News viewers, that's practically, you know, 7 in 10, think that January 6th, they blame it on left-wing protesters trying to make Trump look bad. That's three quarters of their viewing audience. Forget mm. that they say whether Trump's a lie or not, but that what they've been watching, the same video that everybody's seen, and of course Fox doesn't play it as much, actually think really have bought into that three quarters of the people watching Fox knew that those were all really lefties in there doing that, causing that. Yeah, because they've drank the Kool-Aid that they've been watching for the last, I don't know, five years, six years, and probably even before that, they have been watching an alternate reality and it's just like a cult. You're brainwashed. You're, you're uh, able to believe a completely different worldview because you've been fed that for a very long time. It's not surprising to me, but this is honestly why I feel like this country has gone in a direction where you can't go back. I don't, you can't then convince these people who have been convinced of something and truly believe it. It's, you, you can't even be mad at them. You feel sorry because yeah. they've just been indoctrinated and they've been completely brainwashed to believe a very weird, very disturbing worldview. Well, I'm going to give you a brand up that's going to make you feel better. The song Memory it. from Cats. 
Have you heard about this and why it's love in the it. news? Yeah. No, but I love that song. I love that song. Maybe not love it. Okay. In Stephanie Grisham's new book, she claims that oh, Trump's God. staff would play the song Memory from Broadway Musical to soothe the former president when he was stressed. It was revealed. So that when Trump was starting to have meltdowns, they would bring in various show tunes, but particularly this one would calm him down. Literally, they would just say, they would say, uh, Grisham recently published a tell-all book that noted when Trump descended into turmoil, his staff resorted to summoning a nickname, The Music Man, to play songs from musical they knew would soothe him, namely Memory from Broadway This Cats. is hysterical. This is the only funny thing I've heard in like months. This is maybe my favorite thing that's ever come out of the Trump White House and, and probably the only thing that's made me like Trump in like a really, really long time. This is very, they very funny to me. sometimes have to play, like act it out. Picture this. He's like throwing stuff against the wall. He's, blah, blah, blah. I can picture it. And all of a sudden, memory. Also, this makes him seem so old to your first point about him being too old. Like nothing has made me think he's old, too old to be president more than him needing show tunes to calm down. It, feel, it really feels like, um, like our at the old age home. What else you got for me? I Have you seen at all anything about Daily Harvest? Do you know what Daily Harvest is? I heard is? people are getting their organs replaced. It's and it's just, What's crazy. going on with that? Okay, so Daily Harvest is this, this like This is obviously frozen, a big brand down, brand down. Yeah, okay. like the biggest. Um, it's this like frozen Met Ready meal to made meals, delivery. healthy. Yeah, yeah right. You can get smoothies, you can get bowls, right. you can get flatbreads, whatever. So right. they have these like lentil crumbles. I don't know how to describe them. I've never had them. But uh, from what I gleaned, they're like these little crumbles that come frozen. And Daily Harvest is a brand that advertises on Instagram a lot and, and relies heavily on influencer marketing. And so all these influencers were hawking this shit. And... Uh, apparently these crumbles were contaminated in some way and people who had them are like violently ill. They have, their liver enzymes are through the roof and the company I think was downplaying it at the beginning and is now starting to have to explain the gravity of the situation. They've obviously told people that if you have these, throw them away, do not eat them. But it kind of shows a little bit the danger of influencer marketing and all these people selling to millions and millions and millions of people. They, you better know what you're getting knowing. in bed with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally. Crazy. Okay, I got a good one for you. Okay. Frasier's coming back. Series revival mm. brand up this fall. Uh, Kelsey Grammer has updated the status of Frasier. Uh, Paramount Plus, where Crane will answer the call for a third time as former Seattle radio psychiatrist, Dr. Frasier Crane. Now, does that tell you that we're just out of good ideas, that they keep recycling? Oh. Or is it like, why not? Well, we've definitely um, reached peak reboot culture. And I think that F Frasier being rebooted shows me that we maybe are scraping the bottom of the barrel. But people love that show. I have not, I don't know that I've watched a reboot that I've liked so far. But well, I don't know. We're one in of the, the great reboots era. right now is, is Maverick, Top Gun. I mean, you know. The, oh, yeah, the that's best. true. Have you seen it I yet? I didn't see it. I have not seen it. My husband saw it. He loved it. It's great. Um, I'm not totally in the audience for it. But yes, actually, that's a, that's a great example of a, of a successful reboot. All the other ones I've watched haven't totally uh, been for me. But we're in such nostalgia culture right yeah. now. Everything from the 2000s is coming back. The well, when is when coming nostalgia back. comes back, when the current time is not good, that's when people totally. all, they long for a better time. Frasier okay, this feels is, like this cozy is, show. This is going to cheer you up a little bit. Ooh. Taco Bell's newest food uses an oversized Cheez-It. So basically what they're doing, they massive cheese it, which is 16 times the standard mm -hmm. size, serves as the base for Taco Bell's big cheese tostita. 
The meal layers ground beef, sour cream, tomatoes, lettuce, and cheddar cheese on the big cheesy cracker for $2.49. Now, this is coming off the success of their Doritos taco. Did you know that they have a taco that's made of Doritos? So the entire taco is like- I did know that. So now they're doing it. How do you know it? Don't tell me your husband eats it. He- Loves Taco Bell. <laughs> he's not had the. Full disclosure: ta- had- Taco Bell is a Deutsch LA advertising agency client. Okay, so well, full great, disclosure. because we this household is a huge client of yours. My husband, he actually hasn't had it in a, in a very long time, but he loves Taco Bell. So what is he? Is, what is his is order the, of choice? I'm. Not, I don't even. I don't know. I don't partake in it. I don't want to know about it. But pre me living in this house, uh, there's a lot of Taco Bell. <laughs> And I will tell you, for his uh, a birthday two years ago or th- oh, three years, I don't know what it was, I had planned to take him and some friends to the Taco Bell headquarters here in California Amazing. to do a private Taco Bell thing. And then the pandemic happened and his birthday was like the early days of the pandemic. So we had to cancel. Oh, so, man. Uh, we're real right. Taco Bell heads well, you, over here. You give, give Lee the thumbs up on that one. What else I, you got for ugh, him? So disgusting. Okay. I have a brand up for science. Okay. I just think my daughter, who is a year old, just got vaccinated for the first time, her first COVID vaccine last week. Right. And it's just the coolest thing. There there was no vaccine for this very complicated virus three years ago. And now you are working your way down from the elderly to um, adults in this country, to teens, to kids. And now babies who are six months and older can get this vaccine and be protected against something that they weren't protected against. And I know this is a very earnest thing to say, but what a cool thing that we have been able to identify a vaccine that doesn't really cause side effects in yeah. anybody and has really uh, protected people from serious illness uh, in such a short amount of time. And let's bring it back, cool back to politics. Ted Cruz is going after Elmo. Did you hear this one? They showed Elmo getting vaccinated on the air, you know, obviously show to kids. And he was like, Elmo is put his, it like went after Elmo. Like, I mean, how can we do this? Just amazing, amazing. I take all of my uh, advice from Ted Cruz about how to live life and be moral. Emily J. Fox, I love you. Thank you you for your wisdom today. Love you. All right, let's get to our big interview with Katie Couric. You're gonna enjoy this one. Take a listen. I am thrilled to today's guest. She's a legend and that's not an overstatement, an icon. She's, of course, Katie Couric. Uh, her number one New York Times bestselling book, Going There, she went there, uh, is now out in paperback. Uh, you know Katie's history, obviously, from Today Show anchor to uh, morning to CBS EV News anchor uh, to uh, right now runs Katie Couric Media. Uh, one, of the most important, one of the most important people in broadcast journalism in my lifetime. And thanks for being here, kid. It's so great to see you, Donnie. Last time I saw you, we... We were both at the same restaurant and you were walking your sweet mom out, who I believe you told me is 93 years old. It was her 93rd birthday, yes, that night at Elio's. Oh, it was her birthday. I didn't realize that. And it was so nice to see you being so attentive and taking such (laughs) good care of her. Honestly, it was really nice. I only play play a a schmuck on TV. I only play an asshole on TV. I'm not (laughs) that. No, no, come on. What is amazing is that- it was just sweet. Thank you. But I always, it's funny when people see me with my kids, with my daughters or my mom or in personal situations, they always go, I didn't think of you as a nice guy. <laughs> oh, I, don't I don't know. think that's true. I, don't know how that I think it's maybe that you you give off sort of like international man of mystery oh, vibes. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, that's me. Give, Real, really give off man kind of, of like uh, yeah. a little bit of a playa. Playa, playa. <laughs> I used to, you know, years ago when I used to go on uh, the Today Show, when it was you, you and Brian, then you and Matt, um, People used to say that I was flirting with you on the air. 
like I would get off the air and I would just say, no, we just have this kind of natural, we like, like a brother, we just like to bust on each other. And it's just like, we, you and I have always had that dynamic, no matter where we see each other, it's just like a mutual, it's a mutual admiration, but it's a mutual bust society also at the same right. time. Right, we, like we like to tease each other, yeah. but Donnie, be honest, I mean, everybody flirted with me on the Today Show. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That is true. We'll get to that. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm we're totally gonna kidding. we're gonna get to the to the book because there's so much in there, and you certainly did go there and uh, a monster, monster bestseller. But I just want to talk to you about the news a little bit. You were on you and Trevor Noah the other night talking about uh, gun safety in very impassioned way, and just today in the news, it's just like what the fuck. And you know, this will be airing a week or two from now, but you know, they basically, it's like we're going backwards in every way. And now in New York, New York, liberal New York, by the way, this is not Mississippi. You can basically, you don't need any excuse to carry a gun in, in public now and conceal gun. You don't need to prove self-defense. You It's just basically the Wild West. And this is just weeks after a massacre of school children. And we see what's going on with Roe v. Wade. And we see what's going on with these hearings and, and with just this, this attempted coup. And I never remember it feeling we were drifting so backwards and going so in the wrong direction in my lifetime. And I just would love your take on that. Uh, well, you know, you we we kind of feel like we're living in the United States of crazy town, right? Yeah. I mean, here the Supreme Court says it's really not up to the states to determine who can carry a gun in public, but it is up to the states to determine who is able to get an abortion. So I feel like there's a lot of cognitive dissonance going on, sort of. You have the Supreme Court, uh, you know, making that decision, and then you have the Senate passing the first piece of gun legislation in 25 years, which, quite frankly, I don't think goes nearly far enough. No, it's not. It's a toe um, in the water. And it'll be and, challenged also. Now this precedent sets that up to be challenged in the Supreme Court. Yeah, and I I, uh, I, I actually picked up the phone and called my senator. I mean, I, it, I, I realized after I hung up, like, calling Chuck Schumer isn't really going to make that <laughs> big a difference. But my yeah. friend Cheryl Crow, who who you know, and who is also very passionate about sensible gun laws, not gun control, just sensible gun laws mm -hmm. and reducing gun violence, uh, texted me this morning to, to call not only my senator, but all these other senators that were sort of on the fence. So Tonight, when I'm done with this, I'm going to be making some calls to Capitol Hill. And Mark Barton, who I've become very friendly with, who lost his son, uh, Daniel, at, in, at, at Sandy Hook Elementary School that terrible day, um, also emailed me and, and my husband, John, and said, please, please call your senator. Uh, and so it is, um, you know, it is a very strange time. We're waiting for by the time this podcast airs, I think it's a pretty safe assumption, Donnie, that that Roe v. Wade will be overturned. Mm -hmm. um, you know, think about the fact that Donald Trump was able to appoint three Supreme Court justices. I think the average is one per presidency. Mm -hmm. um, and it it does feel very disconcerting, to say the least, you know. I was just watching the end of, uh, I've been running around all day, so I'm going to have to get caught up tonight, uh, the January 6th hearings. And the stuff that went on is just so hard to believe. And in some ways, I feel like we're the frogs in the, you know, the slow boiling water that we become inured to just how insane 
well, this has been, that the president of the United States said, you know, maybe it might have been a good idea to kill the vice president. Now, yeah. even half kidding, the fact that he reportedly said that is so outrageous that, um, you know, it's just it, you just hope that there will be some some repercussions for what happened. The scary part, you talk about the frogs in the water, is that as frightening as all this is and was, the future is set up to be more frightening. The I very know. things, the guardrails that were there, a few brave men, a few, you know, profiles and courage, and, you know, who stood up, whether it's Raffensperger or uh, with the Arizona Speaker of the House yesterday, and we, there's been all these kind of unsung heroes, and these were Trumpers, right? But now in the state legislatures, the laws have uh, been moved and the people have been put in place where the odds of this I'm, happening again are not a possibility, it's a probability. And I am so glad you're talking about that. It's not, uh, they should Johnny. be leading the news every single night. I know, and I read recently that many newspapers and, and networks are gonna have people on the democracy beat. This is how serious it is, yeah. but you're exactly right. These state legislatures are setting up these measures and codifying these measures that will actually give power to in the hands of a very few people and could possibly, and as you said, most likely, I guess, if the circumstances are right, overturn the will of the people. In other words, your vote won't matter at all in some of these states. And the fact that the fact that it's just happening and these people are doing it with impunity is so beyond, excuse my French, fucked up. It, it's not French, it's it's where it's at. And a YouGov Yahoo poll recently said that 53% of Democrats and 54% of Republicans, give or take a point either way, think we will no longer be a democracy. They're actually saying it. And the part that is terrifying to me, and I'm not comparing it to Nazi Germany, but I am going to care, compare it to, actually I am, to any autocratic regime, is that it's like we're marching along. It's like that there's not these crazy alarm bells going off, that it's just half the people on both sides of the aisle are almost resigned to the fact that democracy is coming to an end and not taking to the streets. And it is... Uh, I, I don't get why there is this almost compliance at this point. And what infuriates me, and you and I know a lot of these people, that when you talk to them about it, their eyes glaze over and all they're thinking about is their taxes. And, you know, that, that it's just, they'd still rather vote, still would rather vote for Trump or DeSantis. Because DeSantis is actually scarier than Trump because he's comes better packaged and he doesn't come as obviously crazy. But there's the same fascist leanings. They wouldn't be any different if he was in office and went down. And that there is not this revolutionary undercurrent of what's going on in this country right now. Yeah, it's pretty surprising, isn't it? And I think part of the problem is, is this sort of demarcation between what, some people are reading, consuming, believing, and what other people are. Uh, before the January 6th uh, hearing started, I heard one survey that said 48% of Republicans thought Joe Biden, uh, the DNC, and Antifa were all responsible yeah. for the insurrection on January 6th. 48% of Republicans. And then you see that, you know, that there's still a majority of Republicans who believe that Trump, that 70%. Joe Biden 70%. was not legitimately elected 70% to the of Republicans. presidency. 70% of Republicans. And it's, it's, I think it's, it's, it's proof of 
of how potent and powerful and persuasive all those three P words uh, disinformation is. And the fact that there is an audience that is lapping this stuff out up that that there's a there are um, content creators, if you will, who are taking advantage of this uh, to line their own pocketbooks. And it is it is such a monumental problem. I was a co-chair of the Aspen Commission on Disinformation and The problem is so complicated, but it has become so deeply entrenched in our society. Um, And it it really is such a a significant problem. And these these platforms that that claim they're basically pipes, they're platforms, not publishers, take no responsibility. They don't have the same same liability exemption. In this country, we have free speech and thank God for that. And but it makes it very, very tricky to really do anything about just the mountains of disinformation that are leading so many people astray. I went on Bill Maher after the election and I think and after January 6th. And I I said something that got me in a lot of trouble. I got a lot of hate, but I said that I thought that some of these people who believe that that Donald Trump won the election need to be deprogrammed. And what I meant was that they are getting affirmation, not information. They Mm -hmm. are getting, uh, you know, these conspiracy theories, all kinds of things that, that they're buying. And it does make you wonder about the education level and the intelligence of the American people when they can be so brainwashed and bamboozled by lies and 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 falsehoods. Look, 50% of people get their news from Facebook and Facebook does not have the liability that a CBS or a New York Times or any other. And right, because until, of section 230. Until yeah. 230 changes and there, that I, I, it's the wild west. You can't, you know, the, you. I have to go, if I wanted to run an ad on NBC about laundry detergent, I would have to go through much stricter regulations to prove that it gets a collar whiter two times faster than brisk or risk or whatever the other detergent than these life and death things that we see on Facebook. And to me, one of the great villains of our time, villains, is Zuckerberg and Sandberg because it is just, there is a lot that can be done. It's the it's not just that it was, oh, we can't control it. They were controlling it in this direction with the algorithms that that play into this. And this is, a and it is- um, And part of the problem, Donnie, is that- um, the, the, it's almost like the man behind the curtain, like Zuckerberg is Oz in some ways, because they won't even let academics and so- researchers and scientists understand the inner workings of what they're doing, how they're doing. And without really knowing those things, it's very difficult to come up with concrete solutions. Yeah. But, you know, I, it's funny, I was at a dinner party the other night and someone who had spent a fair amount of time with Mark Zuckerberg just said, he has always been, you know, the one thing he cares about is crushing the competition yeah. and being the best. And he, you know, this person said, you know, he was stealing people's ideas in high school and taking yeah. credit for them. And I just don't think, sadly, he has any kind of uh, North Star or, you know, I think he just cares. I mean, I don't know Mark Zuckerberg, but it, this person said he cares first and foremost about being the biggest, being the richest, and you know, leaving people in his rearview mirror. 
El condado de Santa Clara está pasando por una emergencia de sequía extrema. Valley Water le pide a la comunidad que limite el riego de jardines a un máximo de dos veces por semana. Trabajemos juntos y digámosle sí, ahorrar agua. Visite watersavings.org para más información. Well, you, I mean, that's what the movie showed. I, I mean, the movie, the Aaron Sorkin movie, which was brilliant. One of my favorite movies of all time, actually, The Social Network. You saw a guy that was damaged and just, just socially damaged and that everything he was going to do in his life was to prove he was somebody or he was attractive to women or whatever it was. But hey, let's let's talk about the book because you and I could just go whoa about current yeah. events for, for <laughs> we hours. Could. We could. Oh, and the book is it was a yeah. monster, is a monster bestseller. New York Times number one bestseller. And you had a little time to reflect since writing a book. What would you have done different? You know, the, the book, the reviews were incredible. And you got a lot of people that were like, you go, girl, you went, you went there, you did it. You went. And then a lot of people, oh, you weren't fair to this one, you weren't fair to that one, and, and why did you have to do it? And I'm just curious, reflection now, it's been a little time since the book has been out. Uh, thoughts on now, not just writing the book, on what, on a post-mortem on the book itself. Yeah, you know, I, I, I still love the book. You know, it's so nice to be able to write a book and feel yeah. so much pride. As well you should. And feel like, you know, you did a really good job of being transparent, talking about your experiences in a, in a human and, and honest way. Um, you know, I think, you know, I think what happened with some of the early criticism or people saying, why did you do that? Um, I think people who read the book in its totality, you know, um, who read sort of the narrative or how I told the story. But that's not the way a book or, is sold. What's sold is they lift out the 14 controversial sentences. Yeah, but, and that, you but, know. but, 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 you know, and, and, and taken alone by themselves, it might have seemed like unkind. But if, uh, in, the, in the context of, of what I wrote, I, I don't think I was really... I was unkind to a couple of people. Like uh, I wasn't very kind to Jeff Faker at 60 Minutes. Mm -hmm. um, he was not. He was not supportive, and I, I think, quite frankly, undermined me uh, when I got to CBS. I think I was pretty measured about Matt. I think I showed him as a really a full person. Yeah. Uh, his 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 uh, strength and his flaws and my disappointment and. Also, the fact that he came up in a culture where the rules were very different. Yes, they were. And behavior was so different, Donnie. And, um, you know, I said that uh, I think I was most critical of myself. You know, yeah. I, I, I owned up to mistakes and blind spots. I said, you know, I sometimes was territorial about my job when... People walked around saying they were going to replace me. It didn't bring out my generous side, and you, I think you and everybody point, else, you and everybody else in the business, by the way. Okay, yeah, you know, that, that's and just all the these business. people are like, "Oh, she doesn't support women," which is not further, it could not be further yeah. from the truth. But I said, "Yeah, sometimes I got insecure and protective of my turf, yeah. you know." And I, as as you said, uh, I would, you know, bet dollars to donuts that. <laughs> And every man is the same way. Every I, like exactly. we could, you and I could tell the specific stories about various male anchors and their exactly. predecessors and their and their followers. Exactly, and, yeah, you know. exactly. So you know, and I think there was a kerfuffle that I said uh, that Martha Stewart didn't have much of a sense of humor. She laughed and, about it after the fact, though. She went yeah, on and, and was and, like, and you know, actually, early on, she was just took her her work very seriously. And I later said, I'm so glad 
you know, she has this fun relationship with Snoop Dogg and it's so fun to see Martha now laughing at herself, you know? So I think that all these little things, I think that, that, that it's sort of, um, I think controversy laced with a, a soupçon of misogyny really sells Donnie. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think a lot of a, a lot of that was stuff that was taken out of context. I think the one thing, you know, and you know, we live in a media world that is not capable of nuance, right? I mean, let's just no. be honest. The no. way the way the media works today. And so I think that some of the things I think I could have been a little care more careful about, for example, I wrote about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and I wanted to write. You protected about, her. I, mean, I got it. Yeah. I got well, it. I I did and I didn't. You know, I ran a two minute clip of her interview uh, where she was critical of Colin Kaepernick, and you know, she said he was disgusting and she, you know, disrespectful, and you know, and then she said a couple of things about you know he's better off than where he came from. It just seemed odd, and it just didn't seem necessarily. I just thought it could be misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I'm not sure how that sounds. And um, and and so I gave it a ton of thought. You know, I talked to David Brooks. I talked to David Weston. Her office called, said she misunderstood. And I was sort of, I was a bit in a bit of a conundrum. And I said that, you know, I took the part that I found like, that I thought could be really offensive out. And, and I think, and I and I as I posit in the book, would I have done the same for Clarence Thomas? You know, and it was because I had a uh, no. You would, you know, do, but that's okay. Respect. But by the way, you're a human, and you're writing about humans that you have perspective on that you and that you have feelings for. So nobody says a book has to be um, a void of a of a person's feelings about other, like that just doesn't, of course you would be different about Clarence Thomas than you would about Ruth. And does that, is that wrong? I don't think so. Well, I think, I think, you know, in retrospect, I probably should have run the whole thing, but I, I, I wanted to show, and I think some people just honestly aren't quite sophisticated to understand some of the things I wrote about, or they, they, um, they just, I can't even think of the word, Donnie, but when they, when you kind of uh, minimize things and you boil them down. uh, Oversimplification. No, well, yeah. They were so reductive about some of the more complex points I was making Mm -hmm. um, that, that I think it got twisted. But, but I also wanted to show that journalists make these kind of editorial judgment calls all the time. Yeah. And, Sometimes you do, I think it's a, the sign of a good journalist who says, you know, maybe that wasn't the right decision. I haven't made many of those, but this was a case where I did. And I think transparency and honesty is, um, you know, is a, is a really great exercise for all journalists because let's face it, we're not perfect and we don't get it right 100% of the time. And that's why that's why I wanted to include that story. And I remember someone said, why did you talk about that? And I said, why wouldn't I? Yeah, you talked about everything in the book. I, I, you know, the Sarah Palin part. I, do you, take me inside your head as you're interviewing her and as she's talking about how she doesn't read and, and, and the, all the things. Were you, as you're sitting there, are you saying to yourself, holy fuck, this could really change your life? Like, like and when you're in the moment, no. no. I really wasn't, Donnie, because... 
I thought, well, first of all, her 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 speech pattern is so sort of different. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of got that Marge Gunderson from Fargo <laughs> quality. No, really, right, you right. know, and and her intonation and kind of the the her expressions and I remember thinking this will be really interesting. Um, you know, I, I what I thought is it would reinforce the views of people who did not think she was ready for prime time, but that people who really liked her would dismiss the interview. And I think what I didn't expect is there was this broad swath of undecided voters who, you know, maybe prefer John McCain to Barack Obama or thought John McCain had more experience or whatever it was. But I think what happened is in that interview, it made people question John McCain's judgment in picking someone like this who would be a heartbeat away from the presidency for a man who would have been, I believe, the oldest president ever elected at the time and someone who had had cancer four times. So, you know, I think that it, it, it made people say, wait a second, um, I'm not sure I'd feel comfortable with her as vice president and potentially as president. So, you know, and that was at CBS where I was honestly, Donnie, as you know, in the book, kind of feeling so beleaguered and discouraged. I didn't want to think, wow, that was a really important, impactful interview. I just wanted to, I was just hoping I did a good job and that it was illuminating to voters. Um, but I I wasn't like licking my chops and saying, hot dog, this yeah. is this is the one. Yeah. Do you, <laughs> the CBS experiences, it always baffles me in business and particularly everybody always thinks the television business is a creative, progressive business where in fact, it's so not in so many instances. Here they go out and they hire you for as an agent of change to make that. And yet you show up and you talk about this in the book a lot. And it's just basically, you're just running up against walls everywhere you go. And I, I just, I, the, the mentality, the management mentality in so many areas of our industry, it always baffles me. Is that yeah. how, you know, how, in, how they'll, they'll, they go after the shiny, the shiny thing and they go, okay, this is going to be great. And we're doing this for these reasons. And then they just, the capability is just not there. Well, I think what was interesting, I mean, John, my husband has said that many times to me as well, because he's a business guy. Yeah. And he's like, he just like, uh, in terms of, you know, return on your investment, like, why the hell would they sign you to a five-year contract, match your salary at NBC? Pay you up shitload and, of money. And, yeah. and, and, and yet sort of not be more supportive. And I think it really had to do with the fact that Les Moonves himself was really the one who was the agent of change who went after the bright, shiny object. And the people in charge hate hate that because they they don't want to be told. And I think he never had, I don't think, the full respect of the news news organization, the news side of CBS. I think they resented him. And I think they felt like I was being forced on them. And I think that he, he was weak he never said, "Hey, get get off the train," yeah. or you know, or get on the train, or get a you know, get off at the station and get another job. So I was kind of in this limbo where Les had brought me in, but some of the other people who were in positions of power were were you know decided they they didn't want me there. Yeah. So it was a very strange experience for me, and so much of it, I think, was about the DNA of the organization. 
And organizations need strong leaders. Yeah. And I like Sean McManus very much. I think he's a really nice guy. But he was a sports guy, Donnie. Yeah. And Les put him in charge of news. He wasn't Rune Arledge. No. And he didn't, I think, have the strength to say, you know, hey, guess what, Jeff Fager? You're going to work with Katie. She's a really important part of our network. She's not the most important, but she's an important person. And you need to uh, make sure we brought her here telling her she could do 60 Minutes pieces. And you cannot be an obstructionist. You've got to, you know, make this work. But I don't think anyone had the balls to do that. And so I think think the alchemy of the place was just sort of um, not receptive to me. And I, you know, Donnie, for so long, I was just kicking myself. And why didn't I do more due diligence? Why didn't I make, you know, why didn't I get it? you know, certain things written in my contract. Why didn't I meet with Jeff Fager and suck up to him or whatever he needed or kiss his ring? I'm not very good at that, Donnie, as you know. And, um, but I think I made the best decision with the information I had at the time. But I I just feel like- You had to do it. You had, I mean, you you had a 15 year run. It was, you were breaking, you know, glass ceilings or whatever the term is that you were doing. I mean, um, you had to do it. And there was no, I don't think there was a due diligence you could do at that point that would see that coming, to be honest with you, in hindsight. I guess, I guess. But I think, yeah, but you know, what hindsight is twenty yeah, twenty. Yeah. I'm like, coulda, woulda, shoulda. But having said all that, you know, as, as, as difficult as it was, and I tell that funny, funny scene in the book where my daughters and I are eating dinner mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'm like, like being attacked internally, externally. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, uh, I, I have my own version of single and fabulous. Remember with right. the Carrie Bradshaw, right, 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 Bradshaw, right, right, Bradshaw right, right. question mark. And she's hung over with a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. And mine was kind of a similar scenario. And I, I was, I started crying at the dinner table with my daughters and, I said, I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just having a really hard time. <laughs> and Carrie, 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 who was 10 at the time, says, Mom, remember what Samantha said in Sex in the City? If I'd listened to what every bitch in New York said about yeah. me, I'd never leave the house. <laughs> I feel, I feel the same way. And I was like, that is so wrong on so many levels. First, that she's quoting Samantha when she's in fifth grade. Yes. Yeah, Hopefully, well, I'm just glad it wasn't the funky spunk episode. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, I'm always torn about this because, you know, now if you call out, you know, Donald Trump for lying, people who are supportive of him think you're biased when actually you're just telling the truth. <laughs> there's no, there's so, no two sides. There's no, right. sometimes there isn't another side. I mean, there, there's exactly. just facts. I mean, that's it. Exactly. Facts are very inconvenient little things, you know? I mean, exactly, you know. exactly. But having said that, I think that, you know, CNN, which I worked at before it even went on the air, I was one of the first employees of CNN in Washington. I didn't know that until, and, I, until yeah. your book, right. And, and I think that, um, you know, quite frankly, during those years, the the commentary and the eye rolling and the sighing and the, it just became a little much. And I I would like to respect viewers enough to give them the facts, give them analysis and let them and 
you know, well, intelligently there, come to their as, own Let me ask you a question as, as, a, as somebody who did this for their entire life and a very smart business person, Chris Licht, who's a friend of mine also is running it and they're, but Zaslav is kind of a dictate now that we're going to go more to straight news. We're not going to over. Is the toothpaste out of the tube? Is there a market for that anymore? Whereas you I know, was going to say, I think that's the that's the million dollar question, yeah, Donnie. Yeah. Is is straight news? Is 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 a news network that doesn't operate uh, on engagement through enragement? That's not kind of feeding our visceral need, our primal need to, you know just be furious at the other side. Is that is there a market for that? You know, I, I think is, there was. I think once this tooth once you now have given people the ability to have bespoke news, they still think they're getting news, but they're getting it in the way that they want it. So even if I don't go as far as enrangement and I just say, I can tune on the news and I'm gonna kind of be satiated in my you, you know in my preconceived notions that I'm smart and this is the way I feel that I don't know how you go back to that other thing. I mean, there's going to like be some a more market. BBC, like a more BBC model, I, I think or it's, a more PBS model. I think it's, I, I think, think it's noble, and I it looks Aslov is a really smart guy, and so is Chris, and and I think there's not a holding company that doesn't want to do that. And look, if Comcast had their way, they would not be in the business they're in. They're kind of stuck there now. They can't move off of it. It's just they don't want to be. They have to do business with the government. They have to, you know, and so. Clearly, your Zaslav, you don't want the headaches of swaying one way or another. You would, you know, they. I think if they had their way, they'd probably get rid of CNN. It's just headaches for them at this point. It's such a small. Well, they also court. don't. They don't want to alienate. You know, fifty percent of the it. country. That's it. You know, you know? Um, and I think what's happened is television viewership has gone down. People have had to figure out ways to hold on to a smaller and smaller piece of the yeah. pie, and you do that by getting rapidly loyal viewers who come to you to hear, honestly, a little bit what they want to hear, to your point. I remember I got a Walter Cronkite Award, and I talked about, this was probably in, gosh, 2006, talked about people being attracted to things that, you know, they're, that confirm their pre-existing biases, that that basically they're like in one of those ovens. What are those ovens where the heat goes all the way around you? What is that called? Right. Conve- a uh, con- convection, convection oven, yeah. you know? And it, it's sort of like that's, that's giving them, you know, fueling them. And so I, I think that's the real question. Can we... Is there a way to make down-the-line news? And you can't really be down-the-line when Donald Trump is spreading That's, that's you know, the problem. Lies. So it is, no, you and know, the answer but, is no, I don't think you can. I, I, well, I think, we've I think gone, the question is, in a post-Trump world, will you be able to do this? If, in fact, and who knows, that's a big if, the Republican Party becomes less extreme and if Ron DeSantis is the, the, the nominee, that's, you know, and I, I read already that Rupert Murdoch is kind of distancing yes, himself yes. from Trump. No, And I, it's like, they're like the Ron DeSantis ne- they, network they, now they, because they realize isn't that's a winning, interesting? It's a winning, because basically that's a winning formula. Trump, I also think, look, Murdoch has a, you know, love him, hate him, and he's, there's, the, 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 he runs an evil empire in a lot of ways. He's I was cer- going to say, I, I would pick the latter. Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> the one thing he does have is he, he has a sense of his audience. And I think, I think when Trump, if Trump resurfaces in a meaningful way, his act is just old. 
He doesn't yeah. have any new hits. It's just, it, it's, it's really interesting. When he, when he surfaces now, Trumpism is a different thing than Trump right now. And when he surfaces, he doesn't have the same power. It, it, it seems like a tired act, a losing act. And I think that even in the latest straw polls that just came, the polls that came out of New Hampshire, that DeSantis is beating him. Uh, so I actually think Trump's days are over. I think everybody says he's unbeatable. I don't agree with that at all. And I think DeSantis, you're seeing it. And but the scary part is that Trumpism is not over. And that's, that's I think that's, that's, that's that is a very as Tucker Carlson tells says to every guest, that's a really perceptive point. Speaking Donnie. of Tucker, that's really smart. Speaking of Tucker Carlson, I always wonder about this is because talk about evil and talk about the, the hate mongering. Do you believe in the case of a Tucker Carlson and like-minded folks like him? that they genuinely believe everything they're saying or it's a form of performance art where they're, they're so taken with the whiff, the, the, the smell of the musk of their success that very much that Trump was playing to an audience and he would get the visceral feedback and that would feed back. And I wonder with the Tucker Carlson's of the world, because I've met Sean Hannity a, a bunch of times and you meet him and you go, okay, seems like a nice enough guy. And then you just see this and you go, can they fucking believe this? And the answer is, I well, think it is at, performance art. I, I think a lot look, of it is, it, which at, makes it even more heinous in another way. Look at Sean Hannity's texts. Yeah, you know, we, we on know. January 6th. Yeah. Look what Laura Ingram was writing on January 6th and then listen to what they yeah. say night after night after night. Yeah. I don't know Tucker really. I don't know Laura Ingram really. But uh, so I can't say what their true beliefs are, but you'd have to think that they get a lot of positive feedback for what yeah. they're spewing night after night. The kind of, I don't know, it's it's just such an undercurrent of smug and smugness oh. and nastiness. And, you know, but maybe they look at liberal commentators and they feel the same way. There is a difference, even though they're both sides are skewed. It's not, you just hit on it. It's not done. If you watch Fox and everybody, you have to watch Fox because you can't intelligently kind of decipher what's going on in the world. It is so nasty. Forget skewed. Uh, there's a guy on at 11 o'clock now, Greg Gutfeld or Gutfree, whatever his name is. It just like literally makes fun of people's being fat. And I mean, it just, there is a smug nastiness to it. Uh, that you don't get on the left. The left is incredibly skewed, and, and you can watch MSNBC at prime time. And I sometimes want to pull my hair out and go, "Guys, what what planet are you on?" You know what I mean? There's some of this woke bullshit that's going on, uh, particularly in prime time. But it's not. It doesn't have the nastiness. It doesn't have the smug, arrogant uh, that the Dismissive, right has. You know what I mean? It just it, it's it's just, it, I just want to shift for a second, just a little bit about early in your career. I know we're going bouncing back and forth. Why do you think, and you know, you were just, you know, when you track your early part of your career and then you, know, you were an NBC News correspondent and uh, then all of a sudden you're subbing on the Today Show. Like you, you were just this, you were there you know, a year or two before you're like, why do you think, what, what happened in the gods of broadcasting that touched your shoulder and said, ah, she's going to be the next one? What do you think? It was the thing that, and, and part of it is serendipitous, of course, but yeah. it's, you know, I'm just curious now because the older we get, we're more able to reflect on what really happened in our lives. And then, so I'm, I was always curious about, 
how that, like, in other words, especially when I see old pictures of you in the BMW ad and you, you a little cute, perky Katie Kirk, you're 12 years old doing what you were doing. How, how I the was fuck? 32. Okay, you were 12. <laughs> in our years, it's 12, okay? Yeah. How the fuck did that happen? You know, I think it was a confluence of events. I think part of it was being at the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And that's not taking anything away from, no, the from fact your skill that I and your hard work some, and your talent. Of course. That of course. I work really hard. I mean, I. Any successful I, person can recognize some good fortune, or otherwise you know, you don't, you're clueless. So, so I think there was that. I think the fact that Tim Russert kind of plucked, plucked me out of local news obscurity and gave me a shot at the Pentagon. Um, I think he saw something in me. And I think if Tim gave you his blessing, yeah, yeah. that carried a lot of weight at the network. I yeah. think people were like respected, obviously loved and respected Tim and thought apparently he had decent taste and talent. And then I think it was honestly, and I write about this in the book and, and, and in a way that's not really critical of Deborah Norville at all. It's more critical of the executives that made the decision. Yeah to push Jane Pauley out at 39. I don't think you were critical uh, at all, Deborah Norville. I thought you were very, know, very kind to her. That, yeah. that, that was the rap, you yeah. know, that I, oh, because I said she was sort of so perfect yeah. that viewers recoiled because she was so beautiful. Like that, that was my criticism. No, and, and as everybody knows, the person in that morning chair has got to be your next door neighbor that there's no chance they're going to steal your husband and it's your best yeah, friend. Exactly. And I mean, that's it, you know? I mean. Yeah. So anyway, but I think that because of what had happened before I arrived on the scene, that Jane had been pushed right. out, that 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 Deborah, who is very talented, absolutely breathtakingly beautiful, um, and the fact that 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 viewers felt felt that they had been betrayed, that they didn't like, you know, it's like Deborah was seen by some people as, as being kind of a homewrecker. Yeah, yeah. And um and I think I benefited from that really poorly, uh, poorly executed transition, yeah, and and as a result, I I was so different than honestly a lot of women on television yeah. at the time. Yeah. I was, you know, I just sort of you know look look like a normal person. You were, I and you had this. You had this. Gee whiz, I wasn't particularly. You had a G whiz thing. I'm, 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 this is fun to be here. You know what I mean? It was like you people were able to. I, I analyze people were able to participate. In your growth into the role, you know what I mean. It was like yeah. some, it was like yeah. somebody like them was put in there, and you got to play TV, and you got to play. Anchor, yeah, and, you, and, you know, and, and I, I think, I think I was, you know, I kind of, I think, helped usher in an era of authenticity where it was a little less formal. People were, you know, goofing around or making mistakes and laughing about it. I think the fact that I didn't take myself uber seriously and that I was able to, um, you know, give it back to Bryant when he got all puffy. Well, he gets as as well he does, right? (laughs) And sort of, you know, uh, full of himself. And I think people appreciated that as well. You know, I'd roll my eyes or slap him or, you know, say, give me a break or, you know, and, and I think, you know, I remember, I think I wrote in the book about how I pretend to know all this stuff about sports, you know, and I was just totally goofing because I knew nothing about yeah. sports really at the time. And I think, I think being able to be, you know, 
to show my weaknesses yeah, or to show areas yeah. I wasn't particularly interested in, to not be, you know, breathtakingly beautiful in any way, shape, or form. I think that that people related to me. As I remember you said, Michael J. Fox, think, who's, who's a friend of both of ours, said to me before I had my first TV gig and I said, any advice? He goes, just be yourself because they'll know the difference. You know what I mean? Let, yeah. let, them, let them like you, let them not like you, but they're going to know the difference if you're not yourself. So just be yourself. You know what I mean? Well, that's what John Chancellor, yeah, he told Chancellor, me, always right? corrected my name, how I pronounced his name. John Chancellor wrote me a note and said, you know, TV is the world's best bullshit detector. Yeah. So just be yourself. Speaking of yourself, my final, you've been very generous with your time. My final question. Oh, no, I love, to, it's so fun talking to you. Yeah, I, I always love talking to you. And you're, you're, you're such a good soul, and I always watch you in public as people bother you, and you're just always so grace, gracious to everybody, and it, it, it's nice to see. Um, well, I'm sure you're, you are too. I mean, the worst thing to me would be if someone said, you know, I always liked that Katie Couric, and then I met yeah. her on the street, and she just wasn't that nice. John gets kind of annoyed because he's like, Couric, come up with an exit question, because, you know, they'll tell me their whole life no, story. No, I, I agree. <laughs> and they always, what they'll do is they'll go, you know, you probably don't remember this, but you and I were at the same party <laughs> because, because they'll oh, recognize somebody I, who's recognizable. I today, I was getting my hair cut and the, the woman comes over and just starts telling me the nicest things. And I'm, and like the, her husband's go, oh, come on, let's leave him alone. I'm like, no, more. This is like so nice. It's just, you know, it, this is, these are what we call very high class problems, you know? But <laughs> What I was going to say is, I don't know, I wrote about this too, but- um, Well, you said, talk, you wrote about it at the beginning, how you loved walking into a restaurant and you, yeah. you just, you know- Yeah, well, it was I mean, nice. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's got a lot of perks and there are obviously a lot of wonderful things about being a public person, but there's a very funny scene in this movie, Soap Dish, where Sally Fields is a, a washed up soap opera actress and she would go- to the mall in Paramus just so she could, she could get, could get recognized. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so final question, because the whole premise of this podcast is that everybody and everything is a brand today. You know, every every corporation, every company, oh, yeah, every person. Oh, yeah, we have to talk about the, so our company. What, so what, I want to talk about, first of all, your company, but also what is the Katie Couric brand? Uh, I don't know. You tell me, Donnie. You're the brand expert. What do you think is the Katie Couric brand? I think that it's, we touched on it a few minutes ago. I think the Katie Couric brand is authentic, really smart person next door that's going to give it to you straight and make it go down in a likable way. Okay, that does it for me. That's why you're, you do what you do, Tommy, <laughs> and I do what and, I and do. And you, you danced around it when we were talking about it, but that's kind of what you were and that you, you know, you're, you're somebody that you can, you know, laugh with and make fun of yourself. And then if it's time to say what's, oh my God, these 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 planes are going into those buildings over there, that you can do it in a way that is going to deliver it straight. and But I feel like somebody sitting up there is not doing it. You know what I mean? Somebody who's, yeah. who's right next to me is doing it. And I, I think that's I the essence add, of brand. I, I would add, Donnie, that I hope people would see me as someone who is curious and open-hearted. Yeah. Um, that somebody who tries to understand, you know, it's hard in this day and age, as we talked at the beginning of our conversation, because there's such a divide and there's so many sort of untruths that are being yes. perpetuated. So it's it's sometimes hard to reason with people um, and to hear their perspective when their perspective is is based on on 
untruths and disinformation and ignorance, you know? So that's really hard, I think, to be generous in in those circumstances. But I I think we all need to get to a place, and I don't know the solution to this, where we can have a debate, we can talk to people who disagree with us about certain things, that we can say, well, there's a, simple, there's a simple formula. You don't start out with somebody and say, you voted for Trump, you're such an asshole. You start out with, I get why you voted for him the first time, you know, and you took a flyer, but will you give me this? And you start, you can't, you can't basically say to somebody, you're an asshole and expect a dialogue. It just doesn't work right. that way, you know, and, and I think that's the simple that's, formula. And I think that's what's happening increasingly Uh, on social media, you know, the two extremes on either side are dominating the discussion on social media and people in the middle who actually would like to be willing to have a conversation. I think you're, you're penalized for that. And that's part of the problem. But, you know, I think one of the reasons I'm, you know, John and I started this media company. Yeah, tell me what's going on with with the media company. Well, you know, a couple years ago, I love to work. I love to talk to people. Yeah. I love to tell stories. I like to enlighten people if I can through my own journey of mm-hmm. learning and and education. And so he said, "Why don't Why don't we start start a media company? I mean, there's never been a better time for disruption. Television viewership is, as you know, going down, sure. down, down. Sure. People are getting." their news and information on another rectangular, much smaller yes, screen yes. that fits in the palm of their hands. And um, and and you can have the freedom to do and to, you know, focus your lens on the things you care about. Yeah. So we started a newsletter. I'm doing a podcast. We're working with purpose-driven brands, yeah. uh, big global brands like, uh, you know, like we've worked with Walmart. We just signed a deal with Google. We're working with Allied Financial. Procter & Gamble was our first partnership with Mark Richard, who's become a really good friend. Mm-hmm. Many of these companies- He's a good man. He's as, a good man. As, yeah, as yeah. faith in institutions, like financial institutions, the government, certainly at the federal and now at the state level, yeah. the media has declined. A lot of people are looking to companies and their employers to- to try to tackle some of these intractable issues that we just don't seem to be making any progress on. Yeah. So we're helping these brands, and it's not it's not branded content, it's brand-supported content. Yes, yes. We're telling stories about, you know, like I work with Hologic, about the importance of 3D mammograms and getting uh, ultrasound if you have fibrocystic breasts. I'm sure this is fascinating to you. But, you know, these are life-saving messages yeah. and information for people. And so we're talking about things like gender equality. We're talking about racial justice issues. We're talking about disrupting the status quo, female entrepreneurs, all kinds of things that I, scientific advancements, all kinds of things that I am really, really interested in. But our business model is based on these partnerships with companies that care about the same things that we care about who share our values. And it's, you know, we've got 35 employees now. Wow. I'm working with a lot of young journalists and uh, we've got people who are handling accounts. We're just like, a, you know, we're doing well. And, yeah, 
And right, John is the CEO because Mo- fucking Molnar, um, man. Who knew, right? Yeah, no, and he's so great because he's a he's a very smart businessman and he's very commercial. Yeah, and it gives <laughs> me like, the freedom. It's a good balance. To, yeah, it's, it's an <laughs> actual balance. Gives me the freedom to, to be do the editor. A six, yeah, a, a six part podcast yeah. on Roe v. Wade and travel to Missouri yeah. and Illinois. Yeah, and to you know go places and do things and you know I think just the democratization of, of of the media landscape has has been has had a lot of uh sort of negative impacts in a way but what it's done donnie is you really don't need a big network no, infrastructure no you don't it's the, you know? the, I mean, like, you're, you're I, a perfect I, example I talk, of it i talked to adam kinzinger you know last yeah. week about january 6th i talked to neil katiel the former acting sure, solicitor general about roe v wade i can get on the phone with these yeah. folks you know uh michael mcfall talked to me uh, you know three three or four times about ukraine the former ambassador no to Russia. look so, i'm doing it on my I'm this podcast i mean i just spoke to eric holder last week i mean like it's just it, right. it's you you really you have that, and you and you don't need that infrastructure, and particularly if, in your case, because of your name, you pre, you can pretty much talk to anybody you want, and 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 you Which don't have to great. go through. And it's fantastic. It's fantastic. And 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 I can talk, Donnie, and I don't know if you found this satisfying, but you know, I don't have someone counting no. me down after no. three and a half minutes. And these, you know, we, we live in very complicated times, and, and sometimes stories need to be told. Yes, they need to have. They they need to. Things need to be explored and discussed. I think what the problem is, though, now there is so much content out there. Well, you, you just so you have many, to be authentic. And- you have to be authentic, and that's the other part of your brand. I think I mentioned the thing is that you everything you described you're doing is authentic to you, and yeah. that's what makes it work. And that's the, the the advice I would give to anybody in any media venture in this very overcluttered you know media landscape is. You just have to be authentic. And I think that's that then drives everything else. And I also think, you know, with we have a newsletter wake up call that's out, you know, six days a week. We've got a great staff of really talented writers. We've got like five or six writers working on wake up call. And, you know, and I can say, hey, let's do a piece on Title IX. It's the 50th yeah. anniversary this month. And how are we going to do it? And, you know, and then we can iterate content to fit different platforms and reuse it and reimagine yeah. it for YouTube versus a, a text interview, say, in the newsletter on the website. We have a whole, we just redesigned our website. KatieCurrickMedia.com? Yeah, KatieCurrick.com. KatieCurrick.com. And, yeah, and you know what's really interesting? I think we have to accept everybody. You know, when I was on the Today Show, there were three morning shows, Donnie. There was no iPhones. No. They came along in 2007. So for the 15 years I did the Today Show, if you wanted to hear the news, you in picked the morning, up the paper on your front steps. Oh, are you turned, you turned on, on, on show. the radio yeah. to you that's know it. get your local station or NPR. We forget the smartphone is only 15 years old. It's just yeah. it's fucking or crazy. Or you turn the Today Show, or do you turn on morning news? Yeah. And now it's just so fragmented, and I often say that mass mass media is is now an oxymoron. Yes, there and is you no have such thing. to realize that. And even the may, mass media is not mass anymore. I mean, it's no, so, that's so what small. I mean. You know, it's just yeah. it, there is there is well, no such thing. Well, that's what I meant, Dodo. Mass media. I'm a is little an oxymoron. slow. I'm a little slow. Okay. <laughs> you know. But I anyway, just, <laughs> but what I was going to say is, but I think you have to. I think it's really about building a community and having an engaged community. Yes. 
And that to me gives me so much pleasure and gives me um, a sense of fulfillment that I'm helping people understand this complicated world, that I'm helping them figure out if you want sensible gun laws, this is what you can do. Mm -hmm. I'm personalizing people who are lost in tragedies. So it has an emotional impact on the people who are watching and reading about them. And, you know, I just have, I'm so liberated from a creative point of view. It's amazing. I feel it. I feel it. Katie Couric, you are very kind. The book and paperback, the number one New York Times bestseller going there. <laughs> Katie Couric Media, all kinds of exciting stuff going on. You are still going strong. And my final confession, yes, in the 90s when I did the Today Show, I was flirting with you. Katie Couric, thank I you, my love. I knew it, Donnie. Thank you, my love. I'll see you soon. <laughs> okay, see ya. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to On Brand. Uh, we love when you listen. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you get podcasts, Spotify, Apple, anyplace else rate, review, and or subscribe. And also watch our videos on YouTube. And you can also subscribe there and leave your comments. Hope you enjoyed uh, my interview with Katie Couric. Uh, I know I did. And once again, have a safe week. We'll see you and we'll listen to you and we'll hear you next week on On Brand. Stay well. Hi, this is Jim Jeffries. I have a podcast out called I Don't Know About That. Each episode is a different subject. We bring an expert on and I say everything I think I know about that subject and then they correct me. Join in, listen to the podcast, you'll have a laugh and you might learn something. Follow, rate and review I Don't Know About That with Jim Jeffries. Now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. You can also catch video releases each week on YouTube.